Well, welcome to the journey, Brianna. We have Brianna Janicki with us today, and uh, just to, I just want to just share a little bit about what the journey is about. And uh, the journey is just a, as a show that really focuses on transformation. And what are those elements uh, that people have gone through to transform? Um, and for some people, it's uh, maybe obstacles either with uh, something that's maybe happened within their life, within the work that they're doing, um, maybe a struggle in school, or maybe it's something a little bit bigger that is all-encompassing. And so it's not just the struggle, but then it's also what did they learn as they um uh, face that obstacle and what what opportunity growth that came out of that and so uh, I know that we just recently met and and it sounds like you have a very interesting story as well so uh, Bria thank you for uh, for joining us yeah no problem I'm really excited this is so like new for me and fun well, thank you. Thank you for taking some time to be with us. So, so we, we always start off with, so what is, when Brianna has an opportunity for fun, what, what do you do, Brianna? Um, well, a big one for me is baking. I really love baking a lot. I worked in a bakery from when I was like 15 to 17 years old. And that's just been something that I've always done. My friends love it, so <laughs> that's <laughs> sure. For sure. <laughs> sure, I bet. So and so that was uh, that was in your your hometown, right? Um, and and so where where is your hometown? And tell us a little bit about uh, your your growing up experience. Yeah, so I live in Waukegan, Illinois, okay. in the Waukegan area. Um, I went to high school in Kenosha, Wisconsin. So a lot of going back and forth. Um, I went to, I started college in Kenosha at UW Parkside, and now I'm transferring to a school in Milwaukee called Mount Mary. So that's currently what I'm doing. Um, yeah. So, so, uh, so you were, you were born and raised in Waukegan and then you guys moved to Kenosha. Is that, is that what you're saying? No, I went to private school in Kenosha. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. And so, uh, and so then when you were um, in Kenosha through high school, were you involved with any type of extracurricular activities, any sports or the arts or any, any activities at all? Yeah. So I grew up actually as a competitive swimmer. I did that for about, I want to say eight to 10 years. And then from my freshman year through senior year of high school, I was on the varsity cheer team. So I was pretty much in athletics my whole life. And then sure. now I box. So that's really fun. Interesting. Okay. So, so we'll definitely come back to the boxing piece because I'm curious <laughs> okay. about that. So, so, uh, so, so tell us, I mean, so that's a lot, that's a lot of years swimming competitively. And yeah. so what, how did you get started in swimming and what was that experience like uh, as a, as a swimmer? Yeah. So, I mean, I started doing it when I was super young, my parents put me in swim lessons and then I just kind of went with it. And then I joined a team and I really just, I loved competing a lot. So that was something I really loved. And then as it kind of like got into high school, I got super interested in cheerleading and all of that. So that's when I kind of switched and I miss swimming a lot, but I am glad I've kind of moved past that point in my life. So 
Sure. Okay. And then when you say competitive cheer, I have some uh, some individuals that um, are connected with my daughter who were also in competitive cheer and they were at a uh, high school, a Belvedere North High School, and they won uh, for their class, for their division. They had won the state championship a handful of times. And, and then, you know, he's gone on and had an opportunity to cheer at the division one level. And so, so tell us about the competitive cheer aspect. Obviously, it was another opportunity to compete. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, because I don't know if necessarily everyone really grasps um, what competitive cheer is. So maybe if you could explain that a little bit. Yeah, I agree. So most of my season was all, it was a nine month long season and we did like sidelines for football and basketball for my high school, but that was kind of, that was usually not the main reason why anyone would join. It was for the competing, which included like dancing, jumping, stunting, tumbling. There was a lot more injuries than people give us credit for, (laughs) for sure. Um, I don't know. It was a lot of fun. It was something that I always saw people doing. And I was like, I want to throw people in the air. That looks like fun. So that's kind of what I just started doing. And we were state ranked my whole high school career. So that was super, that was a huge like goal of ours to do. And we did it. So that was nice. nice. So it wasn't just throwing them in there. You also had to catch them, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That was probably the most important part. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So now was that one of the, usually there's always more than one, one reason why things happen, but is that one of the reasons why you went to that school? Yeah, I would say that cheer had a lot to do with why I went to my high school, but I mean, the education was pretty good. I met like so many good people there. Like I have like so many lifelong friendships from there. So, and I really appreciate that. Nice. Okay. And, and now the competitive cheer is done. You're, you're in your second year of college, correct? Yep. Okay. And so competitive cheer is done, but now you picked up boxing. So tell us about how you got involved in boxing and what, what has that been like? Yeah, that was actually super interesting. So I started doing it kind of my freshman year. I went to like a class and then I did it a couple times there. And then I was like, Oh, this is really fun. Like it's a really good stress reliever. And then my mom knew a guy who trains for it. So I started going to him and started doing it. And then I had to take a small break when I first started treatment for my eating disorder, just because I wasn't allowed to exercise. And so I took a break from that. And then I recently got back into it probably like four months ago, I'd say. And I, I haven't like, I don't do that one as like competitively, but it's more of like a it's good for me. It's a stress reliever and I enjoy doing it. I thought about doing it competitively, but we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> well, good deal. Well, and so speaking of, uh, you mentioned about eating, recovering from your eating disorder. And so, um, maybe if you can, maybe we can dive into that and, and how did that, uh, as I shared with the audience last week for, for me, my, with the body dysmorphia, I, I remember, um, the term that I used last week was I, I remember seeds being planted as early as maybe third, fourth grade, um, probably like fourth grade or so. And then those seeds that were planted in grade school then started um, manifesting themselves, started sprouting even more and growing more in the middle school and high school that really picked up momentum until I, and then when I was in college, it was full full, full, full board. And so what was, when you think back now, what, what was some of your experience regarding the body image piece? And then of course, then later it developing into um, restricting food and manipulating food. 
Yeah. So I'd say like, it was probably planted like super, super early, just because that's how I feel like our society is. Like you have to look a certain way and all of that. So I feel like that's something that everyone is exposed to pretty young. Um, I feel like when I was in swimming, that was like a huge thing, like, you know, body checking. And, I, you know, I started swimming when I was in like second, third grade. So it was probably planted the body image piece pretty young. But I remember like I needed lots of like I the body type for a swimmer was like super muscular. So it was like, oh, you need to have like muscle and like height wise. I don't I don't have the height for it. I mean, I'm pretty tall for a girl, but I'm not as most female swimmers are like six foot. So like that was a huge insecurity of mine. Like, am I tall enough to even like compete further or any of that? Like, can I build enough muscle? So I feel like that was planted pretty young, not as in a making myself smaller, but kind of just the idea of like ma manipulation of my body was planted like pretty young. Um, and I didn't really realize it until I started treatment and I would think back on it and I'm like, wow, like that was probably pretty impactful to me. And I didn't even like notice. And I feel like that's how it is for a lot of people, like when they start sports or any sort of anything pretty young and they're exposed to that environment. So, and I think you're right. I think there's another element that happens and not just with athletes, but of course, both of us being athletes, we can, you can definitely identify with that aspect that are, that early on, at least I experienced the mindset that my, my body was a machine that I had to learn how to train and use the word manipulate. I think that's a great word that I could demand it to do certain things. And if it didn't perform, then I somehow tied in my value to that. The value of myself was tied into how my body performed. Mm -hmm. And, and how um, did, were you, especially with swimming, not only are you exposed all the time in a swimsuit, right? I mean, you know, granted it's a one piece swimsuit, but, yeah. but nonetheless, you're, you know, always exposed that way. But then as you mentioned, it, it wasn't even necessary about being lean. It was about what could your body do for you to compete? Yeah. So, so, so as you think about like those things, and then as it moved into, you know, middle school years and that, how did you notice some of those seeds that were planted early on? How did they, how did they shift or change or maybe grow, grow differently? Yeah. I feel like I was always really insecure throughout like middle school and high school and even like the beginning of college. And even sometimes now I feel like that's something I still struggle with, but like through middle school and high school, like I was always just so like comparing myself to other people. And I think that that is something that we all do, but I did it a lot. And I like, I, th again, this isn't something I noticed until I like really, like my eyes were open to it, like how much I would compare myself to other people or like I would see people wear certain clothes and be like, oh, well, I don't look a certain way. So I wouldn't look good in that. Like I can't wear that. So, and then I feel like that was a big thing for me was comparison just all throughout middle school and high school. And then because my full restricting of, from my eating disorder didn't start till I was in college, but I feel like that was kind of how that played in throughout those years. And, and if you look, if you, and I know that hasn't been very, that hasn't been very long ago, um, when you, what, what was the reason do you think it manifested in college, not prior to that? I mean, I know that it was, it was, it was coming on, but it didn't really go to that point, like you said, and to the behavioral aspect before it was just more of the mental part of it. 
but then it started kicking in the behavior. What, what, what do you think was different in college um, that, that caused that to switch over to behavior? Yeah. So actually at the beginning of my college semester, it was like end of summer, beginning of my freshman year, I got super sick mm-hmm. and I'm fine now, but um, I was really sick and I lost a bunch of weight. And then after I was like, I was fine and I wasn't sick anymore. I kind of learned how to like make manipulate my weight to make it, you know, less. And so I think that's like when that started to just take off and it went from like being okay to just like full blown, like such a problem. And like, it was something I didn't even notice, but it was definitely, I can definitely pinpoint it to, I got sick and I figured out, Hey, this is how I can do this. So I'm just going to go with it because it sort of started being like what I found my value in at that point, because, you know, I went from like, I feel like high school to college is such a big transition for anyone. And I was sort of trying to like find my identity. And I feel like that is kind of how I found mine. So I feel like that would be definitely one of the reasons. So again, you know, grade school and middle school, your identity was at least partly tied into swimming. Right. Yeah. And then, and then high school, you're at a new school and there's an aspect of it that's tied into being on the cheer team. And now this is a whole new world, right? Even though it isn't, you're, you know, you're not that far away from where you went to high school, um, but it's a new world um, going, going to Parkside. Um, when you say that that was your, your new identity, what, what do you mean by, uh, maybe explain that a little bit more. What, what was the new identity, the way you, you appeared thinner than you mean from that aspect or what do you mean? Yeah, I feel like my identity was definitely now found in things like numbers, which I feel like is a really huge thing for people with eating disorders to find your identity in your weight or in your pant size, your clothes size, or really anything like that. I feel like identity in numbers is a really big thing that people deal with. And like, that's definitely where I found mine was with numbers and weight and all of that. So unlike cheer and unlike swimming, tell us a little bit about now, now there's this value that's tied into these numbers, but many times these are not things that you can tell other people that you're doing, right? Yeah. So they end up being an internal mechanism, an internal uh, value system, but, but it comes with secrets. Yeah. And, and maybe share a little bit about. Yeah. So I definitely also like in that time started going to the gym a lot and just like running and stuff and everyone be like, what are you doing? Like everyone could blatantly see that I was getting smaller and everyone was like, what are you doing? And I was like, Oh, like, I just go to the gym a lot. Like it's, it's not a big deal. And I feel like that was definitely like something that I used to cover up. Like everything was just like, Oh, I'm going to the gym. You know, I've started like lifting or something. Like I always would try and like skate around that. Or another one was like, Oh, like I was really sick and just lost weight. Like that's it. True. So I feel like both of those were definitely always my like top excuses for things that I would use to cover that up. So in the, in the I'll ask one more question, then we'll jump into what like last spring and, and everything last winter, last spring. I, I know for me, when I was still competing as a bodybuilder, um, I, there was a sense that I knew that it was coming to an end that my, my competitive days were coming to an end. It was a, it was a, it was a cross between 
recognizing that if I was going to continue or go to that next level of continuing, there were certain things that I wasn't, I didn't think I was going to be willing to do um, at, at that time. Um, and, and, but at the same time, I wasn't ready to stop either, um, stop competing. And for me, the thing that I never said, even though there, it was, it was there, the, the fear was who would I be if I stopped, who would I be if I stopped competing? Um, because I had everything so wrapped up in that piece. So it, it, it didn't, it wasn't even really about the behavior of, of, of the steroids the behavior of, of the, you know, all the things I had to do regarding dieting. It was, it was really more that those were just vehicles that I had to do to still keep this identity, this facade about my identity going. Right. Um, and so usually when we talk about any type of compulsive behavior or addiction or any, any of those things, there's usually an underlying, underlying fear that we don't talk about of why we continue to do what we probably know isn't really healthy. Yeah. And if, and if you think about that, what, what may have been your underlying fear or concern about stopping? Yeah. Well, I feel like a big thing, like, again, with the competing piece, like I was so scared to stop. So in a way I was sort of in a competition with myself, like how little can I weigh or how, you know, just anything like that. Like I was, it was such like an unhealthy competition with myself at that point where I like, that was something I just couldn't let go of. So that was kind of like why I found my identity in it was like, I need to be competing with something might as well just be myself, I guess. So and it, and it, then it, in some way, right. When you're swimming, yeah, you're competing against yourself. And when you're cheering, you're continuing to improve, but you're on a team. Um, but now you, it was all about this internal mechanism, right. And so it it becomes the, um, it, it isn't controlled by those outside factors anymore. Yeah. So, so, so then kind of tell, then tell us what happened last, last spring semester, what, what happened then, and, and maybe even probably obviously started in the, in the, in the, in the fall semester, but so tell us a little bit about what happened. Yeah. So I was probably at the end of January, February was when I was just not love last year, like around this time actually was when I was probably at my lowest and I was just, I was so wrapped up in behaviors and I just was so oblivious to the fact that I was even like doing anything wrong. Like I was like, Oh, this is so normal. Like it's fine. And then I remember I had people coming to me being like, are you sure you're okay? Like you're, you don't seem right. And I even remember my best friend, she took me on a drive and she was like, listen, like, I don't think this is good for you. Like you need to like stop doing this. And I was like, no, like, it's fine. Like, I'm like, I'm totally fine. Like, I just, I'm working out like it's okay. And then I remember when COVID hit and I was at my house because we couldn't go to class. Um, I was home a lot more and my parents were also home and they were like, I am not seeing you eating. Like, what's like, what are you, what's going on? And I was like, oh no, I'm fine. But eventually I hit just some sort of a breaking point where I realized like, I have such an unhealthy relationship with food. And like, I'm so sick of living like this because what I'm doing, like, it's never going to be enough. I kind of realized like, no matter how little I weigh, like I'm, it's never going to be like enough and I'm never going to be sick enough or anything like that. So 
I was like, I really need help. I kind of just like hit my rock bottom point. And then my parents kind of were like, all right, well, we're going to find you a dietitian. We're going to find you a treatment team. And that's sort of how that all started. Gotcha. Okay. And, and with, with that now, did you, I know a lot of times, uh, you know, people will go, go residential or inpatient and, and, and even though I know that isn't necessary, that isn't necessary, it just, sometimes that happens. Um, <clears throat> but other times, if you get the right treatment team together, you can do it on an outpatient basis. Um, and I, you know, with nutritional counseling and, and regular counseling <clears throat> that you may be able to, um, to, to uh, adopt a new program, start learning how to uh, have a different relationship with food and relationship with yourself. So did you do any inpatient or residential or was it all outpatient? Well, for me, it had to be all outpatient. I was originally supposed to go residential and I went to a doctor and he was going to my primary and he was like, all right, well, you should probably go somewhere. But at the time, everything was closed. And so I couldn't. So um, I kind of gathered my own treatment team with like my mom's help. And then um, one of my friends pointed me in the way to my dietitian, actually. So that's how I found my dietitian. My mom found my therapist and my treatment team. And that was just all super like, that was super helpful. And I also had so much support from like my family and my friends that it was just insane. So that was really so helpful. Sure. And 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 so the combination of your your parents um, having the courage to to confront you, right, mm-hmm. and in in that piece, and then you having the courage to eventually, of course, we're gonna it isn't gonna be just because someone notices. It's but after a while, you were able to uh, admit and share with them that you something was going on bigger than yourself. But I think it is key that that we need that support slash accountability um, even after we start the process of stopping the behaviors. Yeah. So what are what are some of the things that you've uh, you've learned about yourself in this process, and and what are some of the things that you do now? Um, I know for me, you know, I, I talked last week that I stopped competing thirty years ago. Um, but the, um, the idea of finding value in my appearance slash performance, uh, didn't end just because I stopped competing. Um, so 30 years later, I still have to be very cognizant of of how that can sneak in there and, um, you know, demand more energy than it really needs to. So what, what are some things that you've learned about yourself going through this, going through your healing process and your recovery process? Um, I think a big thing I've really learned is like what I'm passionate about, which through my recovery and working with my dietitian, I found out that I'm actually super interested in like the science behind nutrition and how food is like, I've shifted my mindset, but time, but sorry, I've shifted my mindset from like food is bad and I shouldn't have it to food as fuel and I need it. Like everyone needs it to survive. It's like blinking or breathing. It's just a human function. Um, so after I came to a conclusion, actually probably last this past October, um, to switch my major to dietetics and nutrition. And so next fall, I'll be starting as a dietetics major at a school in Milwaukee. 
so I can become an eating disorder dietitian. So, and I've just become so passionate about that. And I think that's also something that's really kept me on my toes with my recovery is I'm going to be helping people just like me. And so I need to like, I need to work through my things. And that's not saying I'm not going to still go through it sometimes and still slip up, but I'm really working hard to get to a place where I'm going to be able, able to help people too. And, and so, so I think that's huge, Brianna, the, just to being able to, um, uh, I, I think sometimes uh, like, like many different situations, it goes from secrets, which then we have shame to the point of start starting to see or embrace that aspect of light that not only can that light be able to see how we can do life differently, but then how do we then give back? Right. And, and it sounds like that's, that in itself has been another way for you to um, continue to keep that momentum going um, yeah. regarding your own healing. Yeah. Well, even I think four months into my recovery, I was in um like an online treatment group and just like a support group. And one of the girls in that support group was like, Hey, does anyone in the Chicago area want to be interviewed? I'm doing an article on mental health. And I was like, you know what, this is might as well. And so I was interviewed in this article and it was actually in the Chicago Tribune, probably back in April. And that was still pretty early on in like the first stage of my recovery. And after that, I kind of just like owned it. I posted it on social media. I told my story and I was like, you know what, this is something that I struggle with, but it's not it doesn't have to be a part of my whole life. And I'm honestly now, like it's helped me so much, like kind of conquer over that just because like, I'll talk about it. Like I'm super open about my eating disorder and just like everything that I've been through, just because if I can share any part of my story that would help someone, like I'm going to do it. And I think, and I've have worked with individuals, not only in, in recovery from eating, either eating disorder or addiction, but also with individuals that are, um, have gone through a grieving process or going through a grieving process if they've lost someone to mental illness. And in part of the, the phrase that they use is turning their um, pain into purpose and, and being able to have that sense of purpose um, also allows them to have accountability to their own recovery to continue growing and continue um, working on being whole, but then also uh, it, it, it fuels that um, way of giving back to other people. Yeah. I think that that's something like that. I think that's hundred percent true. I think you can look at some situations and you can go in it with the mindset of like, Oh, I'm miserable and this is never going to get better. Or you can go into it with being like, there is some reason this is happening and I'm going to turn this around and I'm going to make it into something better, whether that's just a growing process or it does turn into like, like a career for me, like that's how that kind of turned into. But for other people, it's just even like growing as a person and like just figuring out smaller things about yourself that if you didn't go through a situation before you would have never been able to grow through that and develop as a human. No, I, I agree. And, and we, we talk about, uh, especially this year with with everything that's happened because of COVID um, and all their different restrictions. And, 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 and for you, this it's it's very similar timing has been the time period of, of you going through uh, admitting of, of, 
uh, where you were at and as well as your healing process has also been um, pretty much the same timeline as, as COVID has been. And, and I think of, uh, I, you know, so many people will talk about wanting to get back to normal regarding with regarding COVID. And I don't know if that's even possible anymore Um, or even the right way to say it, because I don't necessarily want to go through a year plus of this and not have learned something and not somehow that we can transform and be uh, either a new normal or, or, you know, how, how by going through this experience, how are we, you know, maybe more appreciative of our neighbor, more appreciative of being able to, uh, you know, to, to go to a restaurant or go out and socialize and similar to the different things that you've learned about yourself over the past year, um, it wouldn't have happened if your pain wouldn't have been as great as it was. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree. I think that like, while I don't wish this upon anyone ever, but I definitely have learned like so much about myself and I've grown so much as a person and I've really just figured out so much about myself that I wouldn't have otherwise. And I would like to, I, I like to reframe it and put it like that so that it is more of a positive thing rather than like, oh, I went like, I'm going through this and like, it sucks and I'm never going to get better. And it's awful because I did have that mindset at the beginning of my recovery. I was so resistant. And then once I kind of put it in that light of, all right, well, obviously what I'm doing isn't making me happy. So I guess I'm going to try something else. And then I just kind of started to slowly, but surely transition it to, all right, well, there's, this is, I'm starting to see some sort of light. And then once I started seeing all of the benefits that I got, like having more energy or just being able to not feel all the physical effects of restricting food and feeling more confident about myself. I was like, all right, this is kind of working. I kind of like this. And then, you know, from there, I just started self-reflecting and just how is this kind of focus? I feel like I've learned to be a lot more of a positive person through it too. Well, you know, and you, you didn't use these words, but I know, um, and I, and I surely, I wouldn't have thought this at the time, um, when I was going through it, but there was this, um, there, there's this aspect that at least for me, that there's this, there was this aspect of when it came to my relationship with food, which I tied all this magical thinking and all this superstitious type thinking. I, I mean, it wasn't like I wasn't educated about how to, how food was fuel. I, I very much was because that was all part of football, wrestling and bodybuilding. But there was this element that I thought that I was the exception that I still had to do these weird ritual type things to, to still control the outcome. And, and I kind of heard you say that once you realized how food can actually be utilized to get the most out of it without the negative side effect, you know, um, that, 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 um, that education, that knowledge actually uh, was used for the use for, for the positive versus kind of letting go some of that magical thinking. Yeah. 
And I feel like having an eating disorder and mental illness is like, honestly, just such a logical thinking. Like you always think you're the exception to anything, Mm -hmm. which honestly isn't true. Like, that's just not, that's not how your body works. It's not how you're built. And like, I've just learned that so much. And like, you know, like I've gained weight and you know what? I feel so much better. I've never felt like as healthy as I do, like as strong as I do. And I, it's great. Like, and I'm so glad, like kind of, I let go of all of that, like illogical thinking of like, oh, you can't eat this or you'll gain like five pounds. Like that doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> right. But that's sort of like something that I really had to learn to let go of. And I feel like as I went further into my recovery, like that, those illogical thoughts really did seem dumb. Like mm-hmm. that's how, you know, as I went along, it was like, all right, like this, this doesn't make sense. So, you know. And and you, and I'm guessing at some point in there, you also then learned uh, it's about trusting, right? It's about learning to trust that process that your dietitian wasn't steering you the wrong way in some way of kind of manipulating you in, into, into getting fat or, or whatever it may be. It, it really did work, but we have to trust the process before we see that it works. Then, then we can actually trust it for ourselves. Yeah, exactly. I think that's patience is a huge part of it because like, you know, I, I was like, I can't, like, I just want to be better. Like, that's all I want. That's, I just want to be normal. Like I am sick of waiting for this to like hit a turnaround, but like, it does take time. Like it's years and years and years of like thinking some way. And then like, you can't change that overnight. You know, it takes lots of time and lots of patience and even patience from like people that were supporting me. Like my parents were so patient with me. I'm like, how did you even do that <laughs> Like with some of my stuff? But you know, and I'm super grateful for that, but yeah, it does take so much time to reverse all of that thinking just because if you think some way for so long, you have to think the opposite. You can't do that overnight. So I think like learning to trust myself and learning to trust my body and my treatment team that they do know what's best for me. And I do think illogically, like I, I really had to learn how to do that. Sure. sure. So, so Brianna, as, as you, th- as we kind of wrap up for today, if you think about what would be something that you would want any particular listener, either if either the listener themselves that may be struggling with, um, either some aspect of body image or distorted eating or, or something like that, or if they know someone that may be, um, what, what would be a couple of things that you'd want to just share with them? Probably that life is so much more beautiful and just so much better than focusing on manipulating your body or focusing on food all the time or how you look. And once you stop doing that, your eyes are sort of open to just like how good life is. And if you frame it in such a positive mindset of like, you know what, do I really feel good about myself today? No, but I'm going to go out and I'm going to watch the sunset, or I'm going to go get a cup of coffee with a friend. And that is just so much more enjoyable than just sitting and focusing on how you look all the time. And you know, that life is pretty miserable. And I've learned through that. Like I was, I was so hopeless, but now I just see like all the things around me and I'm just so thankful. And like, life is so it's so great. It's so beautiful. And I think that that is so important and like, you can get to that place, but it does take lots of patience and lots of hard work. And I think, but it's so worth it. It is so, so, so worth it. And I do not regret it for anything. So just kind of recapping what I think I just heard you say is definitely gratitude. 
um, and and being able to look for those opportunities to, to be open to, to to what you're grateful for, and and it may be big things and it may be a small thing, um, such as being out in nature or or something like that. Trusting the trusting the process and and making sure that you have people around you that know more than you do about what you think you know so much about, right? <laughs> so, um, and and I think being kind to yourself that it 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 takes time and that it's not going to be overnight and and resist that temptation of uh, short term uh, sh- sh- uh, immediate gratification. Right. And, and looking. And I, and I think the last thing I've really heard you say is by doing those things, we can maybe get out of self thinking and moving into other thinking, you know, people yeah. outside of ourselves or things outside of ourselves. Mm-hmm. When you're focused on yourself a lot and what you look like, it's really hard to appreciate what's around you. Mm-hmm. I've also learned. Yeah. And there's so much to appreciate. So yeah. Yeah. I think that that's so important. Well, Brianna, thank you so much for being with us. And thank you for having the courage to um, be be aware and walking your journey, and then being able to have the courage to share with other people. Um, we, we talk about the idea that there really isn't, um, you know, the darkness doesn't really exist. It's just an absence of light. And, but sometimes that space between our ears um, makes us think that there, with all that noise going on, it makes us think that there is no, no light. And, and that's where the, you know, that's where it's just more of the absence of that hope. Um, But if we focus on, like you said, um, gratitude, um, uh, talking about talking with somebody, um, it kind of clears out that fog and clears out that noise. So Again, Brianna, thank you very much for being with us. And uh, if, if someone wanted to reach out to you and get a hold of you, what would be, what's, and, and read that other article that was in the Tribune, what, what's the easiest way um, that someone could get a hold of you or just uh, contact you? Yeah, so probably the easiest way would be through Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is Brie, B-R-I underscore Janicki, J-A-N-I-C-K-I. And I have the link to that article actually in my um, my bio on Instagram. So that would probably be the easiest way for someone to read that and also to reach me. Perfect. Well, Brianna, thank you very much again. And, um, and again, just you being you and discovering all that life has for you, as well as for you to be able to give back what you've learned. Okay. Thank you. Well, thank you again for listening uh, during this time period. And even though I know we're talking about some tough, some tough topics right now, it is in the midst of recognizing that no matter how, how difficult something gets, that recovery is um, an option. And it is lifelong as we go into recovery that there is not a recovered. It's, it's more about um, that recovery is a lifelong process. But there is uh, hope and there is light. Again, thank you. And we'll be talking to you soon.